Hello, and welcome to Cover to Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George. And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing The Midnight Club. The Midnight Club was written by Christopher Pike and published in 1994. And the Netflix series, which came out in 2022, (laughs) uh, was showrun by Mike Flanagan. Yes. And we have done two other Mike Flanagan episodes. Yes. We have talked about uh, The Haunting of Hill House. Yes. His other Netflix series and his film adaptation of Stephen King, Dr. Sleep. Yeah. I should say one of his uh, Stephen King film adaptations. So we could do more Mike Flanagan. There's plenty of Mike Flanagan to go around. (laughs) Yeah, um, this is very exciting. Uh, We did do Hill House last year around this time for Yeah, that was another Halloween one, right? Yeah, so kind of fun to do another Mike Flanagan show around the same time. This man just keeps pumping out content. I know, when you told me, because I know he has another movie coming out about like Edgar Allan Poe, I think, or like his family or something i might be making that up it might be not quite that um but then you said oh he has a show coming out too called uh, the midnight club and i was like oh, i don't know if he could like that's so many projects <laughs> the thing that's interesting about this to me is how like this book came out in the 90s yeah and i feel like in the 90s there was a much larger audience of young adults who wanted or kids who wanted like scary story content yeah like, you had this, you had Goosebumps, mm-hmm. you had Are You Afraid of the Dark, which yeah. is a Nickelodeon show I grew up watching. Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Yes, that series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like there were a lot of spooky story shows and, and books. And what. so when I saw the, the trailer for this, it brought back memories of that for me. Yeah, and let's get into a discussion here of these books, right? Because um, Christopher Pike is someone that I wasn't familiar with, but that's because he was really prolific in the 80s and 90s, writing books for teenagers. And like, that was just not my time. So I didn't really read anything by him. But the stuff that he was writing was like, you know, mysteries, supernatural, some horror, sci-fi, very pulpy. Yes. but And I say that in, like, a good way, yeah, right? Like, yeah. very genre. Genre, yeah. Mm-hmm. But, like, also I was surprised by how mature the content of the book was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because, like, I was kind of, I mean, I, I thought it was going to be, like, more mature than, like, Goosebumps. Yeah. But it was still, like, talking about sex and drugs and, Death. you know, it, it was really just <laughs> kind of, like, full on talking about, you know, whatever it wanted to. So that was kind of surprising. But yeah, it seems like it's addressing things that teenagers are going through with a supernatural or genre lens. Yeah, I could really see teenagers really connecting with it because it is like not holding anything back Mm -hmm. in a way. Yeah. And so that brings us to a really interesting aspect of this episode and the adaptation, which is the fact that the Midnight Club show is not really an adaptation of this book, but it also is. Yes, so the framework of the Midnight Club, most of the main characters, or half of them, appear in the book. And this idea of, like, them getting together to tell stories, that is based on the book The Midnight Club. However, the stories that they tell in the show, each one is based on a different Christopher Pike uh, novel that he wrote. Mm -hmm. And apparently Netflix had just bought all of the rights for Christopher Pike adaptations kind of all at once, I think. Yeah. And so they had all of the the rights to these. And Mike Flanagan was like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if instead of like 
I don't know, making individual movies or whatever if we told these stories in the framework of The Midnight Club. Yeah. And he said that he wants to make more seasons of this show. And as of right now, we haven't heard whether or not the show is going to get additional seasons. <laughs> I mean, we're still waiting to hear about The Sandman. Oh, my so. God. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe if you're listening to this like two years in the future, both of these things will have come true. And we yes. don't have to stress about it. But um, yeah, it's interesting because like you said, we are doing an adaptation. Like we read the book, The Midnight Club, and we watched the show. But if we wanted to really do an accurate adaptation, we would have had to read every single one of these yes. books that they tell. All the short, or all the scary stories that they tell in the show are actual books. So we would have had to read all of them, which we could not do. It's so, <laughs> it's so funny because the Midnight Club novel is like really short. It's only like 200 pages. Yeah. And it's like a small paperback kind of novel, like pulpy, like you said. Yeah. So it, it, it was pretty easy to get through. However, if we had to read... <laughs> Seven of them. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been a whole. Also, it would have been like impossible to discuss in an episode. Oh, so yeah. We're really just going to be in each. We're going to talk about each individual story like briefly, mm-hmm. but it's going to be mostly speculation on, you know, the how characters. It, the characters and how it was maybe adapted, but mostly it's just going to be talking about how it's represented in the show. Yeah. If you want to be extra and read all these books, you can do that and then write to us and tell us how we're yes. wrong. I was going to say, if you're familiar <laughs> with these stories and have like opinions on specifically how each one was adapted, like, yeah. please let us know. That would know. be really interesting to hear about. You know, if we had unlimited time, I would love to read more of these books and, you know, maybe we will eventually, but. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk about them, though. I think this is such an interesting setup. The fact that Mike Flanagan is drawing on all these other Christopher Pike books and kind of bringing this 90s pulpy vibe to this story because the show is also set in the 90s when the book was published. So it does feel very true to the spirit of Christopher Pike. Yeah. And the vibes and the writing style that he had and the characters. So I, I really think that this is an interesting and unique take on adapting books. I think it's a really smart and interesting idea for Mike Flanagan. Yeah. And also cool how, like, you know, the stories like Pike's writing range in terms of, like, horror mm-hmm. or romance. No, romance or noir or sci-fi like it's kind of a whole range of yeah. genre um that <laughs> you get covered and also the way they were able to tie it into each character you know each story it's not just like a random story the character's telling mm-hmm. they're kind of specifically woven into what that character's going through yeah in an interesting way so let's get into it yeah both stories feature the same main character, Ilanka. Yeah. Uh, the show kind of gives us a little bit of like the backstory of her cancer diagnosis mm-hmm. before she ended up at the hospice. But she, you know, is is graduating or getting ready to graduate uh, high school. Yeah. And she goes to a college party. She begins to have symptoms, uh, coughing up blood, and she's soon diagnosed with uh, thyroid cancer. Yeah. In the book, it's stomach cancer. Yes. Mm-hmm. And... Roughly a year passes, and basically they're like, there's nothing else we can do. Yeah. And in her research about people who have overcome thyroid cancer, she discovers a woman named Julia Jane who went to a hospice, Mm -hmm. then miraculously recovered while she was staying there. And so she decides, I should go to this hospice too. Yeah. In the book, it happens a little differently. It's interesting. Um, Alonka is an orphan. Mm -hmm. She... Is also implied to be an orphan in the show, but she does have a foster father, Tim, yeah. who um, is very involved in her life and is taking care of her. 
But in the book, she has nobody, not even a foster parent. Yeah. And we find out that she was in a state hospital dying by herself because yeah. she had no one to be with her in the end. And we find out in the book that Brightcliff or Rotterdam in the book, which is this hospice, takes in specifically teenagers mm -hmm. who are dying of cancer and you know, only have a little bit more time left. And the founder, the doctor who runs this hospice in the book, Dr. White, you know, had a daughter who died of cancer when she was young. Yeah. And he tells Alonka that, like, she reminds him of his daughter. And, like, he specifically tries to find people who don't have anyone else. Yes. Now, I think this makes sense in the book. Yeah. Especially, I think, in the book, the characters are really described as being, like, really close to death. Yeah. Like, they only have weeks left, mm -hmm. you know, maybe even days. But in the show... A lot of these characters have families, have mm -hmm. people that they could stay with. Like, Alonka could stay with her foster dad. Yeah. Does this hospice, or at least the way it exists in the show, make sense? I mean, it's like cancer camp, right? <laughs> kind of. <laughs> They're yeah. like, oh, but what if the teens could just be together and it be kind of like college yes but they're just all dying you know <laughs> <laughs> really brings the mood down a little bit when they play capture the flag but. yeah <laughs> i mean i agree with you i don't think it quite makes sense no. that families would send their children here unless there's some quality of care that they're getting at this hospice that they would not be able to get normally yeah because i mean even people who are like really sick like hospice care will come to your house yeah. to, like, help you. You know, nurses will come. So, like, mm -hmm. I mean, I think the situation of, like, children who are in the foster care system or, you know, without parents or something like that that need a place to go if they have cancer, like, that makes sense. Yeah. The show, not quite as much. But if you can get past that <laughs> one, like, mental hurdle, yeah. I think it, it it's fine. <laughs> yeah, and soon after Alonka arrives at the hospice, we are introduced to the idea of the Midnight Club. And we find out that the group of teenage patients in the book and in the show gather every night at midnight and everybody tells a story. In the book, there are five of them. Yes. And everyone tells a story every night. Yeah, that is way too high Wait, that, of a demand. Yeah, that's too much. These, <laughs> these kids are dying. Like, they're very sick. And they're, like, sleeping most of the day. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean... It's kind of implied that, like, some of them are just kind of making it up and winging it on the spot. Yeah. Which makes sense. But, yeah, that's way too short of a turnaround time. Yeah. In the show, one person tells a story every night. Yes. But uh, we find out, too, that there's this other aspect of the Midnight Club where they have agreed that whoever dies among them will try to leave the others a sign. Yes. I love this idea mm -hmm. that... They kind of are, I mean, they're young and they're dying and they kind of want to believe in some type of afterlife. But also it's kind of just like a fun, spooky thing. Yeah. Like, I mean, they take it seriously, but it, there's also a bit of like, Ooh. yeah, like, what will your sign be? And mm -hmm. and kind of also, I, I like that they're very self-aware about like in typical ghost stories, like when there are ghosts, they just like whisper your name or they'll do something really subtle. And it's yeah. like, why are they so indirect? Like, just be direct. <laughs> like, scream at me. And they're kind of, like, discussing that. And they're discussing the idea of, like, do you forget everything when you die? Yes. I mean, if there is an afterlife, 
I mean, if there's not, then you're just gone, right? And yeah. there's no way for you to communicate. If there is an afterlife, maybe ghosts can't communicate because they forget their life on Earth mm-hmm. when they pass into the whatever the afterlife is. Or maybe they are unable to communicate for some reason, even if they want to. So there's like so many questions. And I love that they kind of are making this silly pact because they just don't know what to expect and they're afraid. Yeah, yeah. Something else, it's a difference between book and movie, but in the book, the the Midnight Club is only a small portion of the total residence of the yeah. um, of the hospice. Mm-hmm. And they kind of were just like, yeah, I forget who specifically made it, but it was just this group that got together. Yeah. I love in the show that it's been this ongoing tradition mm-hmm. and they have no idea like where it began, who began it, like how long it's been going on for. Yeah. Which kind of makes like a lot of sense because the turnaround time of kids there would be so quick, right? Yeah. Few months. Yeah, kids are only there for like three to six months. Yeah. So like they would kind of invite more kids and they'd be gone without too much time mm-hmm. passing. And so like it's just kind of this kind of constantly evolving group of children. It's like fraternities and sororities, but for dying. Well, <laughs> I suppose if you want to put it that way, but more so without like actually knowing what the origins are. Yeah, And it's true. like m- more in mystery. <laughs> um, so let's talk about one of the first stories that we hear in the book and the movie, or not the movie, the show. Yes. Which is Anya's story. Yeah, Anya is Alanka's roommate at mm-hmm. the hospice. She has bone cancer. Yeah. And she has had her leg removed, mm-hmm. and she is bound to a wheelchair. And she, in the in the show, is Irish. Yeah. And she's just, like, so <laughs> snarky and crass and, like, just mm-hmm. rough around the edges but like a really like as you get to know her she's such a genuinely good person yeah i love anya especially in the show in the book she kind of has a little bit of an abrasive personality as well but the show really leans into that yes and she's really hostile towards alanka when alanka first arrives and i think she just resents having a new person join the group and also alanka is very hopeful that like Maybe she won't be dying. Like, maybe, you know, this isn't the end. And you can see the spectrum where they are, right? There's Mm Alonka at this end, and then there's Anya at this end, who has had, you know, part of her leg removed. She's in a wheelchair. She's on really heavy painkillers because she's really in the last stages of her life. Yeah. And you find out that Anya used to be into the kind of, like, herbal supplements Mm -hmm. and alternative medicines that Alonka currently is into, but I think has become just frustrated and disillusioned by all that, so she's kind of withdrawn in that way. Yeah. But let's talk about her story at the Midnight Club, which is called The Two Danas. Yes. And this one is not based on another Christopher Pike book because this is the only story in the show Mm -hmm. that actually is the same in the book. And Anya also tells this story in the book. And it's about this girl who wants to be the perfect daughter and perfect student and perfect girl but she also wants to be bad right yeah and one day the devil shows up and offers to split her into two people so she can live both lives and one thing that we should mention about these stories in the show is that the characters who are playing them are the same characters that are at the hospice yes but they're recast into different roles and so we see 
Dr. Stanton, who's like the head of the hospice in the show, play the devil in this scene. It took me, so, I don't know what it is about Stanton, like, but she looks, she can look so different in mm-hmm. different outfits and roles that it took me a while to realize like, oh, that is Stanton in each one. Yeah, and like, obviously Anya plays Dana in this story, but then other characters flit in and out and end up being different characters too, which I love. I love that too. It gives like, especially just seeing the range of the actors portraying like different types of characters and stuff yeah. I thought it was like really interesting it's really fun I mentioned like to you that this show kind of reminds me of Buffy the Vampire Slayer in a lot of ways in terms of like it being episodic it's about high schoolers mm-hmm. or you know teenagers with kind of this creepy supernatural. supernatural overarching plot but also the fact that something I loved about Buffy was the actors constantly got to play like different variations on their characters. Yeah. Whether a spell was cast on them or they body swapped or something. Mm -hmm. So you saw them doing all these different great acting things. Yeah. And that reminded me, or or Midnight Club reminded me of that in terms of seeing these characters. Like Kevin. Mm -hmm. Kevin was fine in the show, like his character, and I thought the actor did fine. But it wasn't until I saw his story with his character. I'm like, oh, he's a really good actor, actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and in this story, you know, the two Danas split up, and of course it all goes to shit, right? (laughs) Yes. Like the one gets addicted to drugs, and it ends up affecting the other one. And I think this aspect of the deal with the devil is interesting because both Danas can feel everything that the other one feels. So when one of them gets addicted to drugs, it ends up affecting the other one. Yeah. The only part where this kind of got off the rails a little bit for me was like the self-harm mutilation portion. Because like once they get at odds with each other, Mm -hmm. the one is out partying and on heroin and the other is like, hey, stop doing that. Yeah. She starts like hurting herself with like a knife. Yeah. But then the other is like, oh, I'm going to burn myself. And it's a a little too intense, I think. It does culminate in the two of them going to kill each other. Because they're like, only one of us can live. (laughs) Um, And ends with one of them dead and the other one in the hospital paralyzed or with a leg removed and this is where it kind of you start to wonder how much of this is based on Anya's real life right her in a wheelchair with her leg removed this idea of like making a mistake and and being bad and this is where we find out we find out later in the show that Anya came to America to be a ballet dancer yeah And her parents kind of made a lot of sacrifices for her to do this. And that she sort of screwed it up by wanting to party and wanting to live on the wild side. Maybe because she was too focused on being perfect as well. Yeah. This is definitely, and I think it makes sense to a degree, this is the the story that I think is most directly tied to a character's backstory. But this is also the only story to be pulled straight from the Midnight Club. So I think it's like the most, there's... probably the least amount of having to like rework an existing story into the character dynamic of the show just because this story already existed. But I did like it because we start off with this story and we don't know it at this point. Mm -hmm. How much of this is true? Did she used to be a dancer? Was she hooked on heroin? Like what's going on? And only later is it kind of revealed to us her, her true story. Yeah. And you know, her parents end up dying, not because of her, but indirectly related to stuff going on that she did mistakes that she made. And she feels guilt about that. And in the book, she feels guilt, guilty about ruining a relationship with this guy that she was really in love with. And she kind of fucked it up. And so this idea of having like a dual personality, like wanting to do good, but also wanting to be bad, um, I think is really interesting. Yeah. 
let's move on to Kevin. Yes. Kevin has leukemia. Is that mm-hmm. right? And he is just very weak. He's constantly cold, but he is uh, a very nice, nice, a nice boy, <laughs> nice young man, and is the love interest of the main character, Alanka. Yeah, Alanka's super into him in both the book and the show, but unfortunately, Kevin has a girlfriend. Kathy or mm, Catherine. Fucking Kathy slash Catherine. <laughs> yeah, she is kind she comes to visit like with his parents and she mm-hmm. seems to be seems to be supportive, but there's also this sense of like at one point she takes him to their high school prom. Yeah. And like poor Kevin li- literally has to get like doped up and then also get a blood transfusion yeah. to have the energy to do this. <laughs> And I love after he comes back from the prom, everyone's like, how was it? And he's like, I was very brave. Because <laughs> they were joking about, like, everyone saying that to him at yeah. prom. But there is a scene where Alonka, because we know Alonka likes Kevin. Yeah. And she's frustrated that he's dating this girl. Mm-hmm. And Alonka in the book and the show kind of has a uh, come to Jesus moment with Kathy. Yeah. Where she's like, you don't get it. He's dying. He's not getting better. Mm-hmm. He's going to die. And you, you need sh- to let him go. Yeah, you need to let him go. You suck. I want him. Give him to me. <laughs> I want him. It's like she is saying true things, but she's doing it in a very selfish way because yes. she does want to be with him. But it is true that like Kathy is under this illusion that Kevin is going to get better. And Kevin is trying to seem normal for her. And it's exhausting for him. Yeah, I think there's a lot of nuance to this that, especially in the show, because I didn't really get the sense that Kathy was being ignorant of his condition in the show. Yeah. And like, I don't know, wanting to go to prom with him. Yeah, it could be considered to be like an ignorant move and her not really considering his condition. Mm -hmm. But like maybe Kevin wants to do it for her. Yeah. Maybe he enjoys getting to do something for someone else, even if it's also for him, you know? Yeah. But I think there's a lot of nuance and especially like, how do you treat someone that you're close to when they're dying of cancer and in hospice care? Do you pretend like everything's fine? Yeah. I thought it was just a little bit reductive to just be like, she's really dumb Mm -hmm. and is ignoring the truth. And Kevin is just kind of like, I mean, yeah, to a degree. Yeah, Kevin does end up breaking it off with her. But yeah, I agree. There's a lot of responsibility on Kevin as well for being in this situation. Like, if he wants to break up with her, he has to do that. It's really not Kathy's choice. I don't think you can break up with people when they're dying. I think they have to break up with you. (laughs) I think, yeah, that's probably uh, an unspoken rule. Like, come on. (laughs) Uh, Let's talk about Kevin's story, though. The Wicked Heart. The Wicked Heart, which is the longest or most ongoing story in the show. Yeah. And this is his, we should say, this is his story in the show. Mm -hmm. He has a different story in the book. Yeah. But The Wicked Heart is about a a high school boy named Dusty Mm -hmm. who is a dark secret, and that is that he murders uh, high school girls. Yeah. And it has something to do with, like, voices in his head. Mm -hmm. And you're not totally sure what exactly is going on. His mother has something to do with it. Yeah. But he's kind of forced to in some way. Mm -hmm. And even though he does it, he's also haunted by, like, the 
haunting images of the girls that he's killed. Yeah, his ghosts, their ghosts literally haunt him. Yeah. But they, they scream, but he can't hear them. Like, they're silenced, mm-hmm. right? It's very creepy. This is definitely one of the creepiest stories. It is. That's told. I did like it a lot, though. Yeah. And maybe just because it had the most room to breathe yeah. in the show, it was given kind of the most time yeah. and development and character, you know, characterization for Dusty. And, mm-hmm. But I did enjoy this one. Yeah, and like you said, it was cool to see Kevin do something other than like shuffle around and like <laughs> talk to Alonka. Yeah. But yeah, he Dusty meets this girl Sheila, played by Alonka's character, who he seems like he really likes. And he ends up torn because the voices are telling him that he has to murder her. Yes. And he manages to stop himself from killing her, but mm-hmm. then the mom comes crawling in on the ceiling. Yeah. That was one of the creepiest <laughs> really, images of, I know. of the whole. It gave me hereditary vibes, which yeah. if you've seen that movie, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but then there's it, it, there's kind of this implied aspect of like this generational possession yeah. of a serial killer mm-hmm. that kind of goes down the family line. Yeah. And that Dusty's being, like, taken over by them. Mm-hmm. But he manages to not kill Sheila and is eventually, like, caught and locked up. And he seems to still be possessed mm-hmm. or, like, something's not quite right with him still, but he's kind of made peace with it. Yeah, and he his reign of terror has at least ended. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, and... Tying this into Kevin's character, I think, is pretty loose here. Yeah. There's this idea that his mom in the show, like, wants his legacy to live on in his brother and is, like, pressuring his brother to, like, live up to certain expectations. And you wonder if Kevin himself was held to a certain standard, maybe from his father, who is not present. So we don't know. Yeah. It's funny, though, because I totally forgot about that aspect because <laughs> it's only mentioned in like the second know, episode really on Family Day. I mean, he does keep saying, too, that like Dusty hurts everybody that he knows. Yeah. And, you know, this idea that just by knowing Kevin and him dying, that he's kind of like unintentionally hurting the people around him. Mm-hmm. So there is that connection. But I, I do agree that like, it's probably the loosest, one of the loosest connections to his character. Yeah, let's talk about Kevin's story in the book. And <laughs> what a story it is. Kevin in the book likes to paint. And so his story is set in the the Louvre Yep. in Paris. And it's about this painter um, who is actually an angel and inspired Da Vinci to paint. Yes. But this angel meets this human girl, falls in love with her, ends up praying to God to become mortal mm-hmm. and so he can be with this girl. And then the two of them end up getting together. And then, boy, what a ride. <laughs> <laughs> Shit begins to fall apart. They have financial troubles. This was the thing was like reading this story. It's being told by this 18-year-old boy. Who, yeah. Like, honestly, probably the past like three years of his life has been taken up by like leukemia and like medical issues. But like this story is so mature and he's like, yeah, you know, he was uh, the the financial breadwinner of the relationship, but like that caused tension between them and she felt like financially insecure and that Mm -hmm. caused him to cling to her, but that caused her to pull away. (laughs) He didn't know how to respond to that. So he clung (laughs) to her more. Eventually she cheated on him and like, there's other stuff, too, where it's, like, very specific. Like, he talks about, at one point, the character's in a wheelchair. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, actually, people who are in wheelchairs get kidney problems pretty frequently. <laughs> yes. And I'm like, what? How do what you, are you talking what do you, about? How do you know 
this, Kevin? This guy went through, this angel went through so many career changes. <laughs> he did. He starts off as a painter, right? Then he's like a taxi driver. Then he's a forest ranger. Yep. Then he becomes a doctor. Uh-huh. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> and he ends up meeting the woman again who like they fell out of touch with and he mm-hmm. paints a portrait of her and... She's dying of AIDS, and oh he's the God. doctor that's treating her. It's very, very, very dramatic. But it's kind of weird because Ilanka is like, am I, is this story about us? Yeah, and he's like, I mean, I thought of you when I wrote the- The part about the you sh- cheating on me. The <laughs> shitty woman that cheats on him and, yeah. like, leaves him by, on his own. But it's not like that That part of her isn't you. Yeah. Just, like, the general <laughs> character. You know how it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's very, very interesting. Yeah. And I'm kind of like, what is the... Like, the story's, like, interesting, but I'm also like, what's the larger connection? What's the point? Yeah. Because it takes up a lot of the book. I know. And it doesn't really go anywhere. Not really. Like, there are general connections. Like, Alonka later on thinks about, like, oh, you know, when the character later on was in a wheelchair, you know, that reminded her of Anya. Mm-hmm. And, like, the AIDS diagnosis reminded her of another patient. And yeah. She's like, there's a lot of connections to the people around them. And he's like, I mean, I didn't intend it to be that way. It just kind of happens. So yeah. maybe, if anything, it's just kind of being, like, Art is a reflection of life, but not a mirror mm-hmm. to life. And I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm grasping at straws right now. <laughs> Let's move on. And who are we talking about next? We are talking about... Amesh. Amesh. Mm-hmm. Amesh is kind of the, the jokester of the group, the, the funny one. He is only in the show. Yes, he is a show-only character. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has... He's Indian. His parents are actually back in India. There was some kind of immigration green card issue with them. And they actually got deported. And they're kind of in some kind of legal bind trying to get back to see him. Yeah. And so he's literally dying in this hospice. Yeah. Waiting for his parents to come, not knowing if they'll make it before he dies. Yeah. Which is really tragic. He is kind of romantically interested in this other other patient, uh, Natsuki. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and like Ian was saying, he's kind of the jokester of the group. We have a really great scene of him in the show, because he's the show-only character, where he is celebrating his death day. Yeah. It's the day that I think the doctors told him that he wouldn't live to. Yeah. I don't know if it's his actual birthday or not, mm-hmm. but the doctors were like, you're not going to make it to your, to your 18th birthday, and he did. Mm-hmm. But they're having it as like a death day celebration on the beach. Yeah. And so he has on... I forget, is he wearing the suit? Yeah, and then he takes it off. And then he takes it. It was like the suit he was going to be buried in, and mm-hmm. then he like takes it off. And it's just a really sweet and, and touching scene. And I just, I like scenes like this of the group bonding with each other. Yeah. And I think this show does a good job of like, they're teenagers, and they're going through this really like terrible ordeal. Yeah. But they are still teenagers. Mm-hmm. And, like, they do edibles on the beach in that episode. (laughs) And, like, there's a lot of funny jokes relating to that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's still kind of a microcosm of what it means to be a teenager in general. Yeah. And Amesh's story is called See You Later, Mm -hmm. which is a time travel sci-fi story. Yes. Which is so interesting. We find out that the main character is someone who eventually designs this nuclear weapons system that 
kind of ends up leading to the decimation of life on Earth. (laughs) Yeah. We have these three characters. We have the one who develops this missile system. We have the president of the United States. And then we have (laughs) the girl. And they're all in this love triangle. Yes. And he doesn't know that this older guy he's talking to is him from the future. Mm -hmm. And he's testing out what he thinks is a video game. But it's really to train him on how to, like, use the system in the future. And I like this story but it is also so really complicated like they really i think they tried to condense it down yeah like this is a real book that we're talking about like a whole ass novel and i was like wait what is happening (laughs) like because the older versions come back to try to change the past so that the earth doesn't get destroyed but each plot point as it was happening like I, i understood that part right yes that they're coming back to try to change it but then everything that happened after that, I was like, what the fuck is happening? Uh, yeah, it's <laughs> way too much. Like this and the other science fiction heavy story of the show yeah. both just end up having to focus way too much on exposition. There's just way too much plot. Mm-hmm. It's trying to condense into like, because I mean, none of these stories probably take up not even like half of an episode. It's probably like a third. They're, I know. They're probably like 20 minutes tops. Yeah. And for some of them, like this one, even though I ended up liking the story, it was a lot to pack in there. Yeah. And I don't think it quite made it work. I also don't really know what this says to us about Amesh's character yeah. either. Just that he wants to be the good guy, I guess. Yeah. He kind of has like, I think he has kind of like youthful aspirations about what he wished he could do. Like he says, I want to save the world and get the girl. Mm -hmm. And like these kind of being like cheesy ideas that a young person might have. But it's tragic that he never will get to see if he can do those things, even though they're kind of almost juvenile ideas. Yeah. But yeah, no, I agree. This is another one where I'm like, I don't know how much this ties in. I like the story, though. Like, I do like the story. Yeah, if it was given more time, mm-hmm. I think it really would have worked like, yeah. better. I like the concept a lot. Yeah, no, me too. <laughs> Let's talk about Natsuki now. Yes. And she is the love interest of Amesh. She's only in the show. Yes, another show only, mm-hmm. a show exclusive character. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, we find out that her father passed away when she was younger. And that after that and kind of throughout her life, she has struggled with depression. Yeah. And that it's something that she's been dealing with, like I said, for a long time. And then, of course, she has cancer on top of that. Yes. So that's just a huge struggle for her. She's also... Um, at the beginning of the show, close to another character named Tristan, who we never get to meet. No. They are in like a quarantine recovery room. Mm-hmm. And they end up dying, I think, in like the second episode. Yes. Yeah. And this is like the biggest impact on Natsuki. Um, that guy who's always in that room changing the bedding. Yeah. I was waiting for him it to be revealed that he's like a ghost. Yeah. Or I have a theory. God, oh, you do? Okay. Yeah. I'm going to save it. Okay. Okay. Because <laughs> I'm like, he only appears in that room after people die for two scenes. And I'm like, are we going to find out something about him? But yeah. we don't. But I'm interested to hear what you have to say about him. <laughs> uh, let's talk about, you know, we, we, we mentioned Natsuki is kind of developing this relationship with Amesh. And one night when they don't have usual midnight club, 
she invites him over to her room because mm-hmm. she was writing a story that she wanted to tell him, one that was personal to her. I love this story. I do, too. This, this is was, probably my favorite story. I, it was mine, too. It's called uh, The Road to Nowhere. And I think, once again, it it, it condensed really well for mm-hmm. the amount of time that it took up. Yeah. And in this story, we have the main character who one night she just gets in her car and she decides she needs to just drive. Right. She's having a bad time. She needs to just get out on the open road, drive as far as she can. Um, But she ends up picking up two hitchhikers, uh, Freedom, Jack and what was it? Pop. Poppy corn. Poppy corn. Poppy corn. <laughs> and Two like musicians that are like yes. hippies. And the guy, I can't remember his name. He's a Mike Flanagan favorite. He's cast in like everything Mike Flanagan does. Yeah. Uh, they're super weird. He's weird. Mm-hmm. And they're constantly arguing about what she should do. He keeps saying like, oh, just keep driving. It's fine. And Poppy keeps being like, oh, maybe Maybe you should should stop. stop. Maybe Mm -hmm. you should, like, do whatever it is that you want to do. Don't listen to him. Yeah. It's really, really cool because the weirdness, it starts out being weird, but it keeps building and building. Yeah. Right? She's driving, and she picks these two up, and then she sees, like, someone else on the road. Mm -hmm. And it's really creepy. They're, like, a hooded figure. At one point, it looks like there's a skull in their face. Yeah. And then, like... There's this weird smell in the car. Yeah. But she's like, what is that smell? It's so weird. They keep stopping at this gas station. But then, you know, Jack keeps telling her, oh, nobody's here. We got to keep going. We'll go to the next one. Or like, oh, we got to go. Like something weird happened. Maybe he killed a woman. Yeah. Uh, At one point, like things keep hitting the windshield of the car. She Mm -hmm. can't quite tell what it is. Yeah. And just the weirdness continues to build. All these little details, all these things that keep adding up. And you're just like, what is going on? Yeah. Eventually, she gets to the gas station again and she sees a garage door. Mm -hmm. And she goes to open it and it's the garage that we saw her in at the beginning. Yeah. And the car is in there. And and, it's running. And it's running. And that she clearly was attempting suicide. Yeah. And we have the reveal that these two eccentric characters are just two aspects of her personality and her mind warring with each other on whether she should kill herself or not, right? Jack being like, let's just go. Who cares? It doesn't matter. And Poppy being like, no, you know, you should wait. You should think about this. Like, Mm -hmm. you have so much to live for. And I really love this aspect of, like, it just being herself, Yes. You know, it's not even two outside forces trying to vie for her soul. It's just her own personality. I liked this, too. I think my only gripe is that at the end, when it's revealed what's going on, I think it hits you over the head a little too hard with it. Yeah. Because, like, you see her in the car, and, like, I like I was immediately like, oh, my God, she's killing herself, and, like, mm-hmm. this is all in her head, and these characters, like, it all added up, but then the characters are like, you're trying to kill yourself. <laughs> we're not real. We're parts of you. Yeah. And we're like, and then they just explain everything, and I'm like, ah, stop. You don't need to do that. <laughs> I already know. <laughs> I know. I, I can figure it out. Um, She does decide to open the car door and try to get out. She turns the car off. She opens the door. And this is interesting because we have her tell Amesh a version of this story where she crawls her way out of the car, ends up hitting the button to open the garage door to let the fumes out and lives. But she ends up telling Amesh, I wanted to tell the story that way, but the truth is that 
I didn't make it to that button. Yeah. I crawled out of the car and then I passed out and my mom found me, mm-hmm. had to do CPR on me and I was taken to the hospital. Yeah, and just kind of this really sad reality of mm-hmm. that how we would have wanted to imagine the story isn't really the truth. Yeah. And that she wouldn't have survived if not for, you know, chance that her mom came across her. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, she says that she knew then that she didn't want to die. She wanted to live. And then when she was getting checked out by the doctors, they discovered the cancer. Yeah. And just this, like, horrible, horrible luck on her part. I love this, though, because she's really – and she tells Amesh this. She's like, I'm telling you this story because I want you to know me and understand yeah. me. Like, I want to show myself to you, which is so beautiful. It is. And this is just such a – cool take on this type of story and like in the episode at the end they share some resources for like suicide prevention which i think is really responsible of them as well but i just think this is a really nuanced and interesting story about someone who struggles with depression and suicidal thoughts and taking like a creepy supernatural approach to telling that story without it being like in poor taste or anything yeah and it relates to her character and i mean i don't know what the book that this one's based on is like. Yeah. Because it fits so comfortably into this shortened time frame. Like, I wouldn't have wanted it to be any longer than it was. No. Uh, so I think all those things adding up probably make this my favorite of the stories. I agree. It is my, it's my favorite, too, just for, like, the character development, I yes. think. And I am also happy to report that Natsuki and Amesh end up having sex. They canonically yes, bang. Yes. So even if they die, they got to have sex, Ian. They did bang, <laughs> which is obviously the most important thing. Honestly, all these kids They should, should all just, be banging. Yes. Yeah. With every last bit of strength in their body, <laughs> they should be banging. <laughs> Agreed. They should just be handing sex toys out to them when they check in. Yeah. <laughs> you want to know something funny, though, about the that Natsuki story is, like, right at the beginning when she gets in her car and she's like, I just got to get out of here. Mm-hmm. She turns her car on. And I noticed... The garage door wasn't open yet. Yeah. And I remember thinking, like, is she going to open that? And they never show her opening it. Yeah. They just show her starting the car, and the next shot is her driving. Yeah. And at the time, it just felt like a weird cut, maybe, to me. Uh-huh. But then later, I'm like, oh, my God, that was so thought was out so and, and intentional. And yeah. And I just loved that detail. I noticed the same thing. Did you? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you should probably open the garage door. <laughs> I'm like, is she going to back out and just hit the <laughs> yeah. garage door? Yeah. <laughs> Let's move on and talk about Spencer next. Spence. Spence. Yeah. I love Spence. Yes. He's a really great character in the show. He's a little bit different in the book. In the book, he's kind of the jokester of the group. Yeah, he's kind of got this real morbid sense of humor. He tells two stories, right, in in the book. And both are, like, about young or people that are just, like, angry at the world and, like, commit, like, mass murders. Yeah. And they're really kind of twisted and dark, but there's also kind of, like, there's a humor to it. And I think more of it comes from the fact that, like, as Spence tells the story in the book, like, Anya will interrupt him and be like, what's going on? Wait, yeah. hold on, that doesn't this, make sense. Yeah. And he's like, no, 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 it does, because, <laughs> and he'll argue. And that is something interesting about the book that we didn't really touch on, but, like, it's kind of a book of short stories, right? To yeah. a degree. But you never enter the story separately. Mm-hmm. It's just 
the character in in uh, quotations or in co- dialogue explaining the story and what's going on. Yeah. And so you will get characters interrupting them and talking. Mm-hmm. And so it's really unique in that way, I think. It is, yeah. Like, you're, it never, like, changes to, like, okay, now this is kind of like the show does, mm-hmm. where it's like, okay, now we're going into this, like, different world. Yeah. And we're going to be describing the story now. It's always just the characters telling the story in the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so in the show, Spence is a lot more subdued and quiet, and we find out very early on that Spence has AIDS. Mm -hmm. This is actually a reveal in the book at the end. Yeah. Something that we don't find out Mm -hmm. until later, and find out that he's gay as well. In the show, it's pretty upfront with the fact that um, Spence is gay, Spence has AIDS. And this is one of those moments where we see Anya's character come out as she like very aggressively defends Spence to Alonka. Mm -hmm. Because Alonka's kind of shocked when she finds out he has AIDS. Yeah. And Anya is very defensive and protective of Spence in a very like aggressive and sharp way, but in a way that reveals her kindness and loyalty to her friends, which I think is really sweet. Yeah, I I loved that moment of her, yeah, coming to Spence's. Spence's defenses. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I I did like Spence in the show, and I did like his arc of, he's kind of embraced the fact that, you know, he's gay and, you know, challenges people on that. But really, there's another character in the show named Mark, who's a a nurse Mm -hmm. at the hospice. He is also gay. And I really like this dynamic because he kind of takes Spence under his wing a little bit. Yeah. And helps him through a lot of really tough things that he has to deal with, like his mom, who's very religious and won't accept him. Yeah. And then also Mark takes him to like a party Mm -hmm. where they're preparing for like a march or a rally or something for like gay rights. Mm -hmm. And they're all making shirts and hanging out. And he's like... I want you to know that there is a community out here yeah. of people and, you know, you're not alone. Mm-hmm. So I really liked these scenes and this dynamic and um, Spence getting to just kind of discover a community and more people like him. Yeah, and also own that he has nothing to be ashamed of. And that's really hard when your one of your parents rejects you, right? Mm-hmm. We have this really great scene where he, Mark the nurse... And Cherie, one of the other patients, end up going to Spence's house and he goes to confront his mom. Yes. And just ends up telling her, like, this is who I am and I'm not going to apologize for it. And also, I love you just the way that you are. So if you love me, you have to love me just the way that I am. Yes. And there's a really great line, too, about one of them has died at this point. Mm -hmm. Someone who didn't have any, like, actual family. Yeah. But he said all they had were was us, and that was enough. They're mm-hmm. friends, and my friends are enough for me, too. Yeah. And kind of saying, like, I have a found family now. Like, I want you to be in my life, but I also don't need you. Yeah, I think this is really powerful. And then we get Spence's story here in the show, where it's another sci-fi story, like we were saying. Yeah. It's about this character, Rel, who is into this guy, Christopher, and ends up finding and having this whole magical VCR that can tape the future. Yes. And it ends up predicting that his boyfriend, Christopher, is going to be brutally murdered. So he goes to save him, only to find out that it is Christopher from the future because Mm -hmm. the main character, Rel, is an android that went 
haywire Terminator style going back in time to kill them. It's very confusing. It is way. And then they go through this whole like exposition dump about like, I'm a robot. You're a robot now. You're trying to kill me because I went back in time. To kill you. To kill you. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And then he's like, also the thing about the magical VCR. And I was like, oh, yeah, wait, that's this episode. Like, I like forgot <laughs> about the VCR thing, which was like the whole hook of the story. Yeah. And that just turned out to be something that Rel accidentally was doing himself to the with his memory with or the something? tapes like it had nothing to do with the vcr yeah and but I'm I, like 90s <laughs> the 90s <laughs> the vcr i just thought that was so funny though that like it got so deep in the cyborg exposition that i forgot about like the vcr thing and the way that tied in was like kind of just absurd i know it was and the the character tie-in for this is like Oh, trying to understand that you don't have to fix people like they're perfect the way they are. And we have to accept fear and imperfection as part of life, which, again, I'm like, all right, I can see it. You yeah. Know? Not the most seamless story, but um, it is kind of interesting and cool. And we get him ripping his skin off for it to show reveal a Terminator hand. Terminator 2 style. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the one thing that you could say in defense of like this story and a meshes that are clunky is they are teenagers telling these teenagers, stories. Yeah. And like they're not like authors. They're not even probably experienced storytellers. So it makes almost sense that they would be clunky. They all do these absurd time travel yes, stories. Yes, these like wild twists. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, does that make any sense? I don't know. Yeah. So <laughs> it, if you want to view it from that angle, like maybe that justifies it to an extent. I don't mm-hmm. know. Next up, we have Sandra, who is probably the most changed character from the book to the show. By that, I mean, in the book, she's just a non-person. Like, she's just, like, the least interesting Mm -hmm. group of the five. And never tells any stories until the very end where she just tells one story, which is just a true story of her having sex with some random guy in a park. In the bushes of a park. Yeah. And everyone's like, that was weird. (laughs) She's just not interesting. And the show turns her into an actual character. And what I like about her is that she has this deep faith and she's very Christian. And this causes her to clash with other characters in the hospice, most often with Spence. Yeah. Which I think it does a good job of, like, I don't think she ever really, as far as I can remember, she doesn't really say anything to him that's, no. like, offensive or anything. It's more just the fact that Spence's mom is very Christian, and mm-hmm. that was the wedge that went between them. And He's kind of taking out his anger on her. Yes, and Sandra does say things about, like, oh, it's God's plan, mm-hmm. and everyone's like, please don't tell us about God's plan when we're dying in a hospice of cancer. Yeah. So she rubs people the wrong way in that regard, but... She ends up telling a story mm-hmm. called give, give, me a give, kiss. give Me a Kiss. <laughs> and this one <laughs> I thought was really funny because like we were just saying with the science fiction stories, like, oh, these are teenagers yeah. telling uh, these ridiculous stories. Yeah. I think this leans into that idea the most because mm-hmm. the, the, the plot twists are so like wild. And Rapid ha- fire. And it's like this noir detective thing about like teenagers double crossing each other (laughs) faking their own deaths very brick very brick yes the the movie brick and then like at the end like the twists get so absurd that everyone's like what's happening what's going on yeah this is sandra's way though of kind of 
not like apologizing to Spence for if like if she offended him with her religion and also kind of showing that she accepts him. And like we get a really great speech from her to Spence yeah. where she says to him, like, I don't believe there's anything wrong with you. And God doesn't either. Yeah. Like is very much like God loves everyone and that's the God that I believe in. Mm-hmm. And I love this because it's. Still her claiming her faith and that being important to her, but being like, no, I am not going to like weaponize my faith against other people. You know, I thought it was a really balanced and appropriate take on on faith and Christianity for like, I mean, not that everyone's like that, but Mm -hmm. like for this story and a character that you're supposed to care about. Like, I like that it didn't have her go back on her faith. Yeah. But was able to kind of approach it in a way that was, like, nuanced. Mm -hmm. I did like this story of hers. Like, it it was funny. And it kind of made me wish that, like, other stories were told in maybe a more funny or unique way to them. Yeah. That they leaned into the camp a little bit more. Yes. And the silliness. Like, what her character and her character's motivation in the story was that she had, uh, her, uh, mouth her, herpes. Have mouth herpes. <laughs> <laughs> everyone was like, what? What? <laughs> and then she had angels at the end. Yeah. And like, but I loved that. And I kind of wish like, because even other stories like Amesh's, which was kind of this like nerdy science fiction mm-hmm. one, it still got like very, um, I don't want to say syrupy, but like a yeah. little melodramatic and a little serious at the end. Mm-hmm. And was meant to be taken seriously, I think, by the end, which I liked it, but I do wish more of them were kind of what they did with hers. Yeah, I liked it, too. Um, Next up, we have Cherie, who is also a show-only character. And Cherie, when we're introduced to her, we find out that she just tells these wild stories that nobody believes. And so everyone just thinks she's lying all the time. Only for us to find out later that she is actually telling the truth and people are just not nice to her. Yeah, what the fuck was... I I was so (laughs) confused by this because, like, it wouldn't take long, like, looking... Because, like, her parents who are, like, I don't know, movie stars stars. or rich people, like, are traveling the world and they'll send her gifts in the mail. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, all it would take would be for you to talk to her and see what she gets sent in the mail to be like, oh, yeah, her parents much a- must actually be rich. Yeah, I didn't really like her character in this show because, mm-hmm. I mean, I like what she ends up being, but I think they could have done more for her. Yeah. And the fact that she doesn't tell a story no. in the show at all, I think is a really weird detail. Like, I, for her to be the only person. Especially because I was really interested in her character, and I yeah. wanted to know more about well, her. Well, and we find out later that she's also queer, and, like, yes. she and Spence bond over that. She supports Spence when he confronts his mom. She ends up um, ordering a wig through her mom for Alonka because Alonka mentions that she misses her hair. Yeah. She gets a PlayStation for a mesh. Like, she's just very kind and generous. And I felt like she was just shit on so much in the beginning <laughs> that by the end, I was like, did they make up for it? I still don't feel like I know this character very no, well. No. Well, they never confront that idea. Well, then there's the part, and maybe I missed a joke here, where Spence introduces Shuri to his mom, mm-hmm. and Shuri goes, oh, we're engaged. Yeah. I don't get... W- w- she was just joking. Okay. Yeah, but I'm like, is this just part of her, like, lying personality? That's what I was... I'm like, it, yeah. is she actually a serial liar? Like, I don't I, know, I don't you. get what they were actually trying to do with that. <laughs> yeah, I just... 
and like for these characters that are telling stories, I'm like, okay, so she's someone who who lies all the time, is always telling stories, yeah, so to speak. I want to hear what stories she's gonna tell. Yeah, and then she doesn't. And then they just never do it. Yeah. I was really annoyed about that. Disappointed for sure. All right, well, let's finally talk about Alonka Ian. Yes. We talked about her a little bit at the beginning, but we did want to save her for last because she is the most important character and we follow her throughout the show and in the book through this whole experience. Yes, her story that she tells is called Witch. It's about kind of this generational, uh, I mean, it's about her and her mom who are both witches Mm -hmm. and it's kind of this like family generational thing where their mother was a witch and so on and so forth and they're healers and they can also do something called scrying scrying which is they can kind of see into the future which is stupid because they're not supposed to do anything about it so she shouldn't just not tell her daughter that she can do it because yeah what's the point of it i strongly agree with that her mom ends up dying trying to like heal this girl in the hospital and then the main character ends up scrying at night, which is apparently bad, but it is just the same as regular scrying. But just like more? More dramatic. Or worse stuff that you see? <laughs> but I'm like, it's the same concept, though. But she sees this boy get shot, and she ends up not being able to help herself from trying to stop it because she is kind of in love with him. Yeah. But because she stops it from happening, one of her best friends gets shot instead. Yes. So she's kind of like racked with guilt over that. And her story actually gets split up across like two different episodes because something happens in the middle of her telling it for the first time. Mm -hmm. So I kind of do blank a little bit because I remember then she's hanging out with this boy whose life she saved, even though her friend was shot. And then they go to a gas station and then then he he gets he gets shot at the gas station. Yeah. So it's supposed to be this whole like, oh, you can't avoid fate mm-hmm. kind of thing she ends up healing her friend and kind of giving her life to heal the friends yeah and it's kind of this whole sacrifice and yeah yeah it's okay it's a it's, <laughs> for the story of the main character i don't know it's fine it could have been better it could have been let's talk about the stories that alonka tells in the book because they are fucking wild Ooh. Why? I I was not mentally prepared. She's like, all right, um, we have someone talking about angel painters. Mm -hmm. We have this deal with the devil story. We have Spence going on about shooting up Paris. Yes. And then we have Alonka being like, all right, um, this is a story from my past life in Egypt. And um, this thing happened and this thing happened. And then, oh, here's my next story of my past life in India. And this thing happened and there was a god involved and all of these things. Yeah. Also, the stories are very detailed. I know. About like culturally what was going on at the time. Like she talks about the caste system of India. Mm-hmm. Like uh, pre-recorded like ancient the India. famines of Egypt. Yeah. And like all these like complicated <laughs> Like, things that really did bring the stories to life. Like, I really was interested in oh, them. yeah. And they also didn't, they they felt like real life events where they weren't stories that had very clear narratives. narratives. Or like, um, <laughs> they, they weren't morality tales or anything. It was just kind of like things that happened yeah. in these people's lives. Mm-hmm. So they were very interesting. But like, the whole setup of them is like, yeah, these are my past lives that I can remember. Yeah. And it's like. Excuse me? And she really is like, yeah, I can remember them and I've been dreaming of them. And Kevin is in them with her. Yes, but like always a different person. Like mm-hmm. when she met Kevin, she knew 
you're the reincarnation of these other people I've known from my dreams. We also have Alonka remembering someone called the Master. Mm. And this sounds creepy and like spooky, but it's not. It's literally just like a Jesus figure or like a prophet that she talks about knowing throughout her past lives. And like he trying to teach her the lessons of like, Basically Nirvana. Yes. And trying to um, accept your present and not try to change what is. And also to like constantly self-improve your soul so that when you are reincarnated, you can rise above the same mistakes that you make in every lifetime. Yeah. And the idea of being fully present uh, in the moment and like not worrying about the future or the past, but like only existing in like the now Mm -hmm. and kind of that being like the goal of where you should be mentally, which for her is like, I'm dying of cancer. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, just like be happy for the now. (laughs) Yeah. And she's like, no. (laughs) (laughs) I did think this was interesting, though, to have a character that was like, I don't know. Is it Jesus? Is it a prophet? Is, yeah. it, is it anything? What is this? It could have been a vampire, but they didn't go for it. <laughs> <laughs> was that what you were pulling for? Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, this is very detailed and cool and interesting. And it kind of reminds me a little bit of um, the Richard Matheson. Oh, what dreams may come. Oh, yes. Yeah. This idea of reincarnation and souls that are drawn together every time, you know? Yeah. And this interesting idea about the afterlife as well. I also have a huge appreciation for Christopher Pike's writing because he's able to write Spence's stories, which are just kind of these like juvenile, like violent and kind of uh, exploitative stories of like murder and violence. And then he's also able to tell like the two Dana's story and then yeah. these stories, which feel very historical and weird and mm-hmm. mature. And like he's able to switch voices like really well, I yeah. think, between the characters and the stories that they're telling. Yeah, it is very unique to each voice. Like each story is unique to each character. And then the overarching story is really interesting. Yeah. Too. That being said, I do wish because ultimately we get Anya telling the story, the two Dana's. Mm-hmm. We get Spence giving two stories. But then besides that, it is Kevin's really long angel story. <laughs> yeah. And then multiple stories of Alonka's like past lives. Yeah. And Maybe I wish a little more variety. Yeah. I wish we got more variety <laughs> of like other characters and other kinds of stories. I agree. Um, kind of picking back up in the actual plot of the show here. It's interesting because the way that these stories have been told is like the overall Time is passing, Alonka's doing stuff, and then every night they meet and they hear one of these stories. Yeah. And we find out stuff about these characters. Obviously, this is taking place over a full 10 episodes. So we kind of discussed it in a really different way, but it's just the the way that made sense to us. But kind of going back to like what's happening with Alonka and her showing up at this hospice mm-hmm. because she is interested in the history of the hospice. And this is all in the show. Yes, she is, you know, and it, this somewhat ties to the book, her being interested and open to like alternative ways of healing, alternative yeah. medicines, herbs, like mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And this also leads into kind of like a interest in like spiritual kind mm-hmm. of healing because she finds out about this woman who was healed at the hospice named Julia Jane and mm-hmm. no one really knows how it happened but she's like maybe if I go there I can figure it out yeah and she also learns that this hospice house 
once was the base of this wellness cult called mm-hmm. the Paragon, who were all about like herbs and alternative medicine, but ended up getting into like goddess worship and pagan rituals and ended up with one woman possibly poisoning a bunch of other people. <laughs> yeah. So a very, very weird history. And like Alonka is exploring that. She finds books about the cult. She finds books um, from Julia Jane from the Midnight Club. Yes. There's kind of a trail of breadcrumbs. Yeah, this was something that I was kind of annoyed about because, you know, we're getting hints about like all these like mysteries, different mm-hmm. things going on, supernatural elements, but it felt disconnected, right? From like, yeah, okay, this hospice of kids who do the Midnight Club, the mm-hmm. thing the show's named after, and them telling stories, yeah. And then at one point, they discover this old ledger of the Midnight Club from like the sixties in the creepy basement. In the creepy basement, and she finds out that Julia Jane founded it, mm-hmm. and I'm like, whoa, that's interesting. So yeah. the Midnight Club. That, you know, they established, they don't know who began it, went all the way back to the 60s, and it had some connection to, like, this. This girl that was cured. Yes. So what's going on here? Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert. <laughs> there is no spoiler. We have no idea. No. It does not come back up at all. And I found that to be very frustrating. I know. I would have loved to know more about why the Midnight Club was founded. Yeah. because What I love, Julia's motivations were. I love that idea that it connects together in that way. Yeah, and Alonka's also seeing these creepy ghosts. Mm-hmm. Like, she'll be walking down the halls and feel like she kind of shifts back in time. There's creepy music. The wallpaper's different. There's Every- gas lamps. Everything's sepia-toned. Yeah, <laughs> there's, like, uh, grating, like, graininess on film, the film. Film grain, yeah. Yeah, and there are these, like, this old woman and old man who are, like, kind of popping up and doing the worst jump scares. Like, I always knew when it was coming, and sometimes I didn't, and it was, like, upsetting. Yeah. It wasn't too bad, though. I I was okay, actually. Yeah, the horror of this is not nearly as bad as, like, Hill House. Oh, my God, no. It's nothing compared to Hill House. (laughs) It's pretty palatable, I would say, probably for most people. We also have to mention uh, the shadow. Yes. And Anya kind of mentions this to Ilanka when Ilanka first arrives at the hospice. This idea that her old roommate, who died, before Alonka got there. Yeah. In her last days, kept talking about this shadow that was coming for her. Mm-hmm. And so creepy. Yeah. And there was also this other kind of misdirect because she found out, Alonka found out that the woman or the girl who used to sleep in her bed, who mm-hmm. used to be Anya's roommate, got into like pagan stuff. Like she found a pentagram like in chalk under her bed. Yeah. And that doesn't really you know, add up to anything. No. I mean, it doesn't have to. Anya was just like, yeah, she got real into, like, alternative ways of healing, Mm -hmm. which does mirror Alonka's journey to a degree, but there's just, like, a lot of red herrings in this story. I know, and I wish we would have found out more answers in this series, but maybe in season two. Maybe we'll. I don't know. We'll have to see. But speaking of the shadow, Anya starts seeing the shadow. Yeah, she gets really freaked out mm-hmm. and she ends up I'm trying to remember exactly the series of events. Well, she sees it occasionally and it's fine. Yeah. Right. And then the one night she takes a lot of drugs. Yes. And that night she sees the shadow and it literally like it comes for her. Yes. And that's where like the episode cuts off. Yes. And then Alonka and Kevin find her mm-hmm. like unresponsive on the ground. Like literally her heart has stopped and Alonka resuscitates her. Yeah. And she's 
she recovers, but she doesn't seem as good mm-hmm. after that. And then during their midnight club meeting, she fully passes out. Yeah. And, and we find out that she's dying more yes. than before. Yes. <laughs> code, code red dying. Yeah. Ever, everyone else is at an orange right now. Yeah. And like we see in group therapy, the teenagers trying to accept that Anya is going to pass away soon. Yeah. And Alonka is very much like, no, I don't want to see her go. If there's anything we can do for her, I want to find it. And Alonka has been going to the woods and gathering spring water and Mm -hmm. chamomile flowers. And who did she happen to meet out in the woods? Some witchy uh, hipster woman named Shasta, who is like, oh, I live near here. I have a company that makes soaps and whatever, (laughs) mucus. And I... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what yellow mucus and black mucus whatever they are bile bile thank you <laughs> um and yeah like immediately immediately when we're introduced to her you're like red flag yeah she's something's she's super suspicious something's up with her yeah well she knows a lot about Brightcliff, and she yeah. knows a lot about the paragon and she mm-hmm. knows a lot of about like the ritual that was supposedly done that cured julia jane the woman that walked out of there yes. the teenager that walked out of there alive And this gets to the point where Alonka starts trusting Shasta more and more and comes to her and is like, Anya's dying. I want to try to do the ritual to cure her. And Shasta's like, here's my blood. Shasta's like, great idea. Here's how you do it. (laughs) Yeah. So that night they sneak into the creepy hidden basement to perform a ritual. Mm -hmm. And they have to convince um, Sandra. Sandra. Because, you know, this feels like it's very, she doesn't know what it is, but it doesn't seem Christian. So she's not really into it. But they managed to convince her just you being there to help Mm -hmm. would, like, be helpful. So they all gather in the basement and they do this ritual. And I really loved this I thought this was really moving. It was so beautiful. And, like, later on, Olanka says, like, she regrets doing the ritual because they, like, wasted Anya's time. But I actually think this is really meaningful that they did this with the time that they had yes. left with Anya. They're literally telling her with their blood and with their precious memories that they sacrifice in this ritual that she's valuable to them. Yeah. And that they're willing to sacrifice these things to save her if they can, you know? Yeah, they all have to burn up something meaningful to them as an offering. So they all go up and kind of explain what they're burning like Mm -hmm. for spencer it was like movie stubs from i think movies he saw with his mom yeah and like they all just have different things and they tell the story and like it just keeps cutting back to anya who's just sitting there like with tears in her eyes watching them so moved so moved and like anya you know who's so like i don't want to say closed off but so tough Mm -hmm. and so tries not to be vulnerable and it's just such a sweet and touching and just beautiful scene, which I yeah. love because it's like, oh, they're doing a creepy occult pagan. But it's really Greek. sweet. Yeah, but it, it's, <laughs> it's ultimately very touching and character yeah. driven. Unfortunately, the ritual doesn't go well. Anya sees the shadow again and yes. passes out. And we don't really know what happens because the next episode picks up with Anya just living like a normal life, being like a grocery store cashier. Yeah. And we piece together from the clues that were given in this narrative that like, oh, the ritual worked and she was cured. Um, and now she's just kind of living her life. Yeah. I, I thought this was so smart to play off this idea of the show. You know, throughout this show, we've watched these characters 
play different characters in the stories, right? Yeah. So when this begins and you're seeing Anya and she has long hair now and mm-hmm. you're like, is this Anya or is this a character in one of their stories? Yeah. And then you see her walking and she has two legs and you're like, okay, this is definitely a story. But then you see her take it off and it's a prosthetic. And yeah. Like, okay, maybe this is... <laughs> I don't know. And then someone calls her Anya and you're like, mm-hmm. okay, they're saying she's Anya. And you piece together that like, this is her. Yeah. But then something still isn't right. Mm-hmm. And it keeps going. And, you know, she talks about like, oh, this ritual saved my life. And all my friends who I had back then, they're all dead. Yeah. I have no one. I'm like on my own. Mm-hmm. Shit sucks. And then things get weird. Yeah. All the stories that they were telling in the Midnight Club start to invade this reality like characters from you know Natsuki's story you know from Kevin's story all these stories coming in to what she's living now and she's also getting like her radio is kind of transmitting to her the voices of her friends saying the the midnight club introduction at midnight and she eventually realizes what's happening and we flash to see what's really happening in reality as well, that Anya is in a coma. Yeah. She is making up this reality. And what she's hearing on the radio are her friends through the intercom trying to be with her in her last moments. Yeah, they're like doing the midnight club with her at the intercom every night. Yeah. And it's so, it's such a moving scene where, they tell her that, like, we're there with you. Yeah. And in this scene where in her in her mind, she was, like, in her apartment bedroom, like, scared and alone. Mm-hmm. She hears them saying this, and she, like, imagines all of them in her room with her. Yeah. And then they tell this, like, corny version of a story of, like, her getting back together with her friend who she felt guilty about betraying. Mm-hmm them buying a house together and having kids and then them all living on the same block together. Yeah. And it's just, uh, God, it really gets you in the feels. It really gets you. It's really touching. And there's this moment between Alonka and Anya too at the end where Alonka just tells her how much she loves her and cares about her. And Anya is able to say goodbye. Yeah. And then she dies. And then she's dead. Ugh. I think, I think this did it so well in terms of It gave us a character death that in one way was, like, realistic. Mm -hmm. A character, like, falling into a coma. Yeah. And then being still alive for a while. Mm -hmm. But it's like, how do you do that? While giving them some agency, Yes, while giving them agency and keeping their story going and giving it a satisfying conclusion. And I just think it did all of that so well. I agree. Yeah, Anya's gone, and then some drama happens because Alonka ends up overhearing some news from Dr. Stanton that one of the patients has been misdiagnosed. So they are not terminal. It doesn't mean that they are totally well, but that there is hope for them. Yes. And Alonka is like, oh, it's me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) She's like, yep. And she overhears this and then confronts Stanton I know about it the next day she's like I heard you talking and she's like is it me and Stanton's like no and yeah. she's like mm, you're lying I don't know about You'd that say that anyway I think you would I think it is me yeah this was when I think Alonka starts to get a little bit unlikable in the show a lot unlikable and in, in my opinion because she I mean Stanton is literally like I can't talk to you about this because I have to make a hundred percent sure 
Like, I need the doctors to triple check this before I tell someone yeah. that they're going to live and then have to backtrack it. And like, Alonka's like, we deserve to know. Yeah. And I'm like, you'd overheard this. You have no yeah. part in this. Like, yeah. you have no right to, like, argue for people's right to know. Mm-hmm. She just gets really entitled. It's yeah. also around this time that she has that confrontation with Kevin's girlfriend. Yeah. That was like very misguided, especially in that moment. Mm-hmm. And she goes to Shasta and kind of like explains like, oh, one of us is better and I think it's me. Mm-hmm. And Shasta's like, it's probably you. <laughs> and they all meet later and yeah. we find out, the, the audience finds out that it's Sandra. It's Sandra. Yeah. She meets with Stanton and she finds out that uh, she's not terminal. Yeah. And oh my God. Alonka gets everyone together. Yeah. And it's like, I have to tell you all something. And we're like, Alonka, stop. stop. She already told Kevin. Yeah. Kevin was like, maybe chill on yeah. this. And Alonka's <laughs> like, no, no. I'm on a mission. She's like, listen, everyone, someone in this room is getting better and it's me. <laughs> and then Sandra's like, uh, it's actually me. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> and Alonka's like, I think it was because of the ritual, at least. Yeah. And she's like, no, actually, like, the imaging that they're basing this off of, I got, like, way before we did the ritual. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, oh, my God. It was just, it's so frustrating to see Alonka be just so entitled. Yeah. So just inconsiderate about, like, the what she's doing. I know, who she's hurting. Also frustrating because the show has really tried to paint her as being, like, a smart character. Yeah, and she's not. She's not. (laughs) Like, she still has not even questioned who Shasta is. Yeah. Even after she sees the hourglass tattoo on her. I know, yeah. Yeah, this whole thing. And, like, I think it could have made it work. This does parallel the book to a degree. Yeah. Because in the book, a rumor begins that someone was misdiagnosed and is getting better. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, Alonka thinks it's her in the book as well. More just like they didn't do a ritual. They didn't do anything in the book. She's just believed that because she's been doing these herbs. Yeah. She demanded another imaging test only the day before. And Mm -hmm. she's like, they probably saw that I'm getting better. Like, I feel better. Yeah. She's just like convinced herself. She's in this, you know, denial phase with her cancer diagnosis. Yeah. Her terminal diagnosis. And like, I, I like that... How this works in the book, I don't think it works in the show. No, I think it mostly doesn't work because, like, it could have worked even up until this point. Because Ilanka, who's been kind of annoying, kind of frustrating, just got a dose of reality. Mm -hmm. And it's a sad truth that, like, she's still dying. The ritual didn't work. Yeah. She's kind of sticking her nose in everyone's business. She needs to kind of get with it, right? Yeah. But she doesn't. No. And that's where it really goes wrong for me. (laughs) Because after this, she uh, goes to Shasta again. And Shasta's like, listen, it didn't work that time, but it can still work. Let's do the ritual again. And this time I'll help you and make sure it works. She's like, just let me into the hospice at night with uh, my friends and we'll do a ritual together. Let me and all my creepy (laughs) employees, family. (laughs) I don't know who they are. Let us into your house at night to perform uh, a ritual without anyone else present. Mm -hmm. And Ilanka's like, yeah, okay. And I'm like, ah. Yeah. She's just so desperate. I wish they would have like justified this a little bit more because like you said her being just so dense about 
Shasta. And at this point, Shasta does reveal that she is Julia Jane. Which was so obvious. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, like, the first time we met her, I wrote, she's Julia Jane, right? right yeah. Like, in my notes. <laughs> it only took us, like, six episodes to get there. Yeah. But um, this ritual happens, and it does not go well. Because uh, Shasta's like, here, just drink this weird tea. and <laughs> Drink this drink this bile. And Ilanka's like, what about our, like, gifts and sacrifices? And she's like, it's fine. Just drink the tea first, and then we'll talk about it. Which, if you've watched Mike Flanagan's other Netflix series. Oh, the tea. Midnight Mass. Oh, my God. You are- Wait, no, no. I'm thinking about Hill House. The tea. Oh, my God. The poison tea that okay. she was going to give to the kids. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I was already making notes about how many Mike Flanagan recurring themes there are. Yeah. So. Um, bad tea. Bad tea. <laughs> <laughs> or group poisonings. Yeah. Is definitely up there. Uh, he loves group therapy sessions. Uh-huh. Or like AA meetings, like those kinds of group yes. things. Um, he loves glowing eyes in the dark. Mm-hmm. He's, he's a simp for glowing eyes. <laughs> um, old homes, big old houses. Yep. Death, ghosts, and the afterlife is like a recur- obvious, yeah, super recurring theme in all of his work. Also, monologues, <laughs> as well as like a like a group of uh, actors that he is constantly mm-hmm. hiring in the Midnight Club. A lot of them appear in the stories, yeah, uh, as these little side characters. Yes, yeah, but yeah, oh my gosh, that, I love the tea thing. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. I was thinking of Midnight Mass, which has a whole poisoning <laughs> subplot. Yeah, and. Shit, yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, anyway, Alonka doesn't drink it. Stanton comes down and interrupts the ritual and gets Alonka out of there. And Shasta gets away, runs off. We found out later that the three other women who were drinking the tea and like yeah. were convulsing on the floor and looked like they were dead survive. Yeah. Do they, though? <laughs> I, that felt like a additionally like they're ah sure they they're alive it's fine um we do get a really great scene after this though with alonka where i think she's really ashamed of what happened and what she did yeah and this leads to having a moment with her foster father tim Mm -hmm. where she is talking about what she wants for her funeral yeah and this is something that was brought up in the first episode but alonka wasn't ready to put this in writing yeah and to see her go there now and to have Tim be like, no, I don't think we're ready for that. And have Alonka be like, no, we have to do this now does feel like growth for her because mm-hmm. she really is accepting that, like, I have to prepare for my death. I can't be in denial about this anymore. Yeah. Uh, so she embraces that. She, you know, Sandra leaves. So there's kind of this, like, mm-hmm. hopefulness with her getting to, like maybe survive like maybe get through her mm-hmm. illness that isn't what they thought it was and yeah well and Alonka finishes her witch story here and like her friends kind of help her finish the story and it ends up being this kind of group storytelling session yeah about kind of the way they all want to be remembered by mm-hmm. each other which is really sweet and then we do have Alonka and Kevin finally kissing finally it only took 10 episodes. Yes. They have such little time. I know. They just got to. They got to bang it out. They, yeah. They, yeah. <laughs> they seem healthy enough in the show. In the book, they were not. Yeah. Should we talk about the ending of the book? Yeah. I, I, I'll, I'll just say regarding the show that like, I think Alonka's arc of being in denial about her diagnosis mm-hmm. and trying everything to make it 
like to heal herself essentially. I think she reached what was the natural breaking point after the first failed ritual. Yeah. After finding out that Sandra was the one who's cured and that yeah. it had nothing to do with the ritual. Mm-hmm. Like for me, that was like, okay, this is where Alonka needs to That's like. That's where it should have stopped. Yeah. But then she like does the second ritual and I'm like, okay, this is so dumb. Yeah. <laughs> so that was for my biggest issue with kind of these last episodes. Yeah. Um, talking about the book, we do have Anya dying here in the book one night after they meet for the Midnight Club. And then pretty soon after that, Alonk and Kevin are able to get together for like a couple days and then he dies too. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty sad. <laughs> it's all really, really sad and very rough. Then we get a reveal as Spencer is dying that Spencer is gay and he has AIDS. Mm-hmm. We didn't know this previously in the book. And then Spencer also tells Alonka that, oh, yeah, I also um, smothered Anya to death with a pillow because she asked me she to. She wanted me to. Yeah. <laughs> and I did it. Yeah. As a friend. Yeah. I'm like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. It's a lot. It is a lot. And we have this episode that happens where Anya's friend, Bill, and in the show, his name is Rhett, comes to get some of Anya's things at the end. And Alonka is talking to him about Anya and she shows him this ballerina figure that was significant in both the book and the show. And in one episode where she had a falling out with this guy in her life, the object was thrown and the leg was broken. Yes. Anya almost felt like this was like a sign for her upcoming cancer because it's like the same leg yeah. that was removed. Um, but and, and this kind of plays into the karma aspect, yes. too, this idea that she kind of deserves what happened to her because of how she treated this person in her life. And so Alonka has this statue and she goes to give it to her friend and mm-hmm. she notices that the foot is attached again. Yeah. And not just like reattached, like it looks like it was never broken. Yeah. And this to Alonka is the sign that they were waiting for this mm-hmm. sign from the afterlife from one of them who dies that there is something else that there is an afterlife and that they can maybe reach back yeah and this happens the same way in the show it's given a little less significance in the show i think yeah. it is mentioned and is important but the book really emphasizes it i yeah. think and it's sort of like the the final touch to this story that anya is trying to communicate with them mm-hmm. And that there might be this afterlife, you know, waiting for them. Um, There's also this idea here when Alonka is talking with Spence as he's dying that you can share in someone's like karmic sin. I thought this was so fascinating. This reminded me of what dreams may come also. Mm. Because you know how in that story he chooses to stay in like hell with his wife? Yeah. To share her... Like karmic That's destiny. True. Yeah, I didn't think about it that way. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I loved this idea that because it in one of her past life stories, she was like a witch and was like mind controlling Kevin's character. Yeah. And she ends up getting stabbed by a wizard and is dying. <laughs> it's a wild story. Yeah. And as she's dying, She's like, I deserve this. I was awful to you. She also got stabbed in the abdomen where she has cancer now. So that seems relevant. And as she's dying, the character of Kevin or whoever Kevin's former life was, was saying to her, like, 
it's okay, like, I forgive you, I still love you. She can't forgive herself, though, and Mm -hmm. in her final moments, Kevin says, like, well, then let me share in your sin, in whatever punishment you face for this. We'll face it together. and In our future lives. In our future lives, and wherever you end up, I'll meet you there. Mm -hmm. And so in her mind, she's like, that's why we've met in this hospice care with, with both of us having cancer. Yeah. Like, we're both paying for my shitty behavior in the past. Mm-hmm. But I love that at this point in the story, Kevin's dead. Yeah. And Spence is explaining how, you know, he likely gave AIDS to his boyfriend. Yeah. Which killed him. Mm-hmm. And he feels like just awful about that and can't bring himself to forgive himself at all. Yeah. And Ilanka brings up this idea again to him of like, well, share that with me. Like, yeah. let me take on some of this guilt, some of this sin that you're feeling. Mm -hmm. And we'll, like, share it together. Yeah. And this idea she's doing for him. What Kevin did for her. What Kevin did for her. And also the fact that, like, they're just friends. Like, there's no, obviously, romantic Mm -mm. tie-in between them. But she just really cares about him. Yeah. And is willing to do this for him. And she genuinely believes it, too. It's not just, like, an empty gesture. Mm -hmm. And something about this was just, like, very unique yeah and very touching we then have alanka dying and then an interesting epilogue to this book where we see two characters a man and a woman on a space station or a space shuttle leaving earth and we're meant to believe that this is kevin and alanka in another life together yeah just leaving earth (laughs) piecing out I, i i like that it kind of returns to this like pulpy sci-fi yeah idea of like a future where they're together mm-hmm. um for a story that was like very dark and grounded <laughs> yeah i mean it wasn't it wasn't it was such a bizarre story it was a bizarre story like all the weird stuff was in the stories within the story and not in the story itself yeah and the show is like totally different from that so completely something we forgot to mention too about the show yeah is the very ending Mm -hmm. which is this reveal that stanton well first we see a photo on the wall yeah which is the old couple Mm -hmm. that both kevin and alonka have been seeing the ghosts the ghosts which they both confirmed with each other that they have been seeing them Mm -hmm. and some of the other some of their friends are like ah your your pain meds are probably just like affecting you and you're both like sharing this delusion but so like this the photo seems to imply that there is truth to the haunting and then we see stanton take a wig her wig off Mm -hmm. which we didn't know she had a wig and she has the uh hourglass tattoo on the back of her neck. Yeah, which is the symbol of the the Paragon cult. And in a flashback we saw that Athena, the daughter of the woman who went crazy and poisoned everybody, had the tattoo on the back of her neck. I'm sorry if you haven't watched the show <laughs> and this is probably just like I know. absolute insanity. It really is, but the theory is that she is the daughter. Yes. And then there's this idea too that Natsuki brought up that there are these things called um, year eaters. Year eaters, yeah. Yeah, where there are these spirits or malevolent forces that gather around places where people who are young die and eat the, the life that they should have had. And she talks about how this place would be like a feast for those presences. So is that the ghosts? Because the ghosts yeah. mentioned like, we're hungry. Yes, Is that Stanton? Mm -hmm. Because if she is 
Like sh- the Paragon was in the 30s. Yeah. This is the 90s. Yeah, I was trying to do the math in She's my head. Too young. She yeah, she is too young. Is she feeding off of them? And then another theory that I had okay. is the guy yes. that's in the rooms. Is that her son? Because she talks about her son who died of cancer. Oh. What if he's being sustained by the lives and the years here too? Oh my God. Okay. Yeah. Cause it is weird we've we only see him. Like right after someone dies, he's in their room. But he's so nice. He is though. so nice. He's though. so like sweet <laughs> and like gives quotes that are really comforting about death. Yeah. And yeah, those are all interesting ideas. Here's my here's my beef, Adina. Yeah. So I feel like this show is trying to say and do two different things, right? Yeah. I like the idea that there is no paranormal stuff going on. Yeah. And there's arguments to be made for that, right? Mm-hmm. I think the shadow creature ultimately is just supposed to be symbolic. Death? Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. It's just symbolic. It's a manifestation of death. You could say like, oh, it's brought on by their like medication. Yeah. Like, I don't think it's supposed to actually be like a real thing mm-hmm. that's actually attacking them. I think it's metaphorical. Similarly, everything with like the rituals. Yeah. Like nothing ever it happened. Work. Yeah. None of it worked. And we're kind of led to believe that Julia Jane is just kind of like chasing this like dream that was never real. Yeah. She, that she's sick again and she's trying to cure herself again. Mm-hmm. But it's just kind of this like wild goose chase. Yeah. And at the end of the story, like the the main arc, it feels like for Alonka and these characters in general is just kind of confronting their own mortality. Yeah. And that there isn't a way of avoiding it. There is no supernatural thing going on. There's nothing to defeat. Yes. There's not. There's nothing that they, they can't can win. do. Yeah, you can't beat it. And the only thing is to, like, become at peace with it, right? Mm -hmm. Except there are two ghosts. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And that maybe Stanton is, like, feeding off of them. And, like, so that's my issue. I like the idea that there isn't anything supernatural. Yeah. But then also there is supernatural stuff going on. Yeah, I agree. And, like, I wish it was a little more tied up. Yes. For this season. Like, I, I would have liked a more satisfying conclusion, I mm-hmm. think. To throw this last scene in at the end and to give us so many questions feels a little annoying to me. <laughs> yeah, I was not. because. And here's the thing. I don't know if I want another season of this show. I know. I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. And I liked a lot of the themes that it went through. But, like, when you're. When your thesis statement at the end of the show that involves a group of kids with cancer that are going to die soon. Yeah. That, like, you have to embrace your own mortality. How do you do a season two? Yeah. My theory, my one guess, is if they did a season two, they could just get new kids. Yeah. You know, you could kind of pick up. Wherever. Yeah. It's the 90s. Like. (laughs) Yes. Like, literally literally a year later. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's sad because that means, like, all the other kids are dead. Yeah. But, like, you could just do a a new season of new kids. Yeah. I don't know. But, like, I don't want to watch these kids for another season just die. I know. One by one. (laughs) Yeah. That doesn't sound like a. I I don't know. I'm open. Like, Mike Flanagan is a great storyteller. I think. That's true. I think he could pull it off if he has an idea too, but Mm -hmm. I'm not sure it would be the first thing I'd want to see from again. But which one is better though? I'm asking which one's better (laughs) because I don't know if I know. Okay. So you know what? Well, I know we just complained about the show, but I I think the show's better. Yeah. Okay. Because I liked the stories more in them. Mm, That's true. Like, and to be fair, it's hard to compare like a 200 page book (laughs) to a 10 episode series, right? 
But I really, really loved the extra characters yes. in the show. And I love the stories that they each got to tell that were kind of tied to their characters, right? And, like, they were just interesting and cool, and I loved the vibes of them. And I did like the overarching mystery. I mean, I was a little bit annoyed at the end, but I did think it was interesting to kind of find out what was happening with the cult in the past, you know? Find out, like, what's going on with the ghosts? What's going on, you know, with this haunting that seems to be happening? And I really did love getting to see these teenagers have so much love and compassion and kindness and acceptance for each other. Like, their bonds, you know, amongst themselves were so great. And I loved getting to see different characters and how each of them had a relationship to the other in a unique way. Yeah, I... I I'm inclined to agree with you that I think I enjoyed the show more Um, because like you said, the characters were really just what sold me on everything. And like, I liked the stories too. They were a little bit of a mixed bag from time to time, but like I did think for the most part, it pulled it off really well. Yeah. And yeah, just watching these characters grow and connect and like face these like big, you you would think a 10 episode show about kids dying and just (laughs) having to accept it for 10 episodes would really drag. Um, But it manages to always approach it in a really nuanced and good way, I think. Yeah. Like, I I liked a lot of the conversation. Like, at one point, Stanton talks about our dialogue or our language when we talk about cancer, Mm -hmm. about fighting it, battling it. If someone dies, they lost the battle or, you know, and... I, I think it always has interesting things to bring up about subjects like this. Yeah. And I liked the book, but like, I don't know. It was a little bit all over the place. Yeah. It was so weird. Mm-hmm. It was so unique. Like, I st- I almost don't even just know how I feel about it. Yeah. It's hard to even, like, have an <laughs> opinion on it because it's just so bizarre. Like, it's really heavy with all the cancer stuff. Yeah. Like, way more detailed and, like, kind of sad than the show was. Mm-hmm. And then there's all this past life stuff that's weird. Spence's stories are, like, kind of violent and, like, really absurd in a lot of yeah. ways. The book doesn't have much of an arc, but it has interesting components to it. We just have to see them die one by one, which is kind of tough. It's, re- <laughs> it's really rough at the end. Yeah. Especially because, like, there's a part where Kevin comes to Alanka's bed mm-hmm. and they like want to have sex but they're too sick to have sex. It's really upsetting. I'm like this is the worst <laughs> did they bang type scenario where they want to. Yeah. And it's their last chance to and they know it and they can't. Ugh. And it's I mean like they resolve to like just sleep with each other like literally just sleep in the yeah. same bed and that being comforting and like and I'm like, oh, okay, it, it, it's touching, but, like, it's yeah, sad. Yeah, it's really sad. <laughs> so, yeah, I do think I enjoyed I, – for sure, I, I enjoyed the show more, I think. This is a really interesting book. I would I would maybe check it out if you feel like it. It's definitely different. It's not long. If you were no. a fan of the show and you're just, like, curious. Yeah. I'm just, like – it was so not – what I, like the the cover of the book? I know makes you think like, ooh, kids telling spooky ghost stories. Not kids contemplating like the karmic <laughs> effects of their like past lives yeah. on their present selves, <laughs> and like, how do you be a good person and is God real? I don't like. <laughs> it, it's way different than I thought it would be. Definitely, the marketing <laughs> is very all over the place for this book. Okay, so it's a show from both of us. Yeah, let's do lightning. Let's round. do lightning. 
So first up for lightning round, uh, apparently Christopher Pike based this story, The Midnight Club, or his book, on a kind of real encounter that he had with a young fan of his hmm. who said, who asked him, can you write a book about me and my friends? She was on a cancer ward and her and other a few other kids who were on that floor with her would get together in the Midnight Club and talk <laughs> about his books. Oh, cool. And she asked, like, can you write a story about us? Wow. And so that led to him writing the Midnight Club. That's so cool. Isn't that really awesome? I love that story. Yeah. I wonder if that's one of the people he dedicated the book to at the beginning. Oh, it's yeah. dedicated to someone named Alonka. So, yeah, he said that um, this girl had a Polish name. Mm-hmm. So he gave his character a Polish name, but it made it sound like it wasn't Alonka. Mm. But maybe that's who it, it's meant to be, too. Yeah, like but he, he doesn't name her. He, he doesn't want to name her, but he wants to, to know it's for her. That would make sense. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, so... First that I want to say for lightning round, there's just like some details in the stories that they tell um, in both the book and the show that are just like really messed up and freaking weird. (laughs) Yeah. The one in the book is when Alonka is talking about her past life in Egypt and she's like, yeah, there's like a famine going on. So then my one friend's daughter like left the house one day to come visit me, but she got attacked and she was eaten. (laughs) that's like yeah just like and then she moves on like immediately and then she's like but it was really about me and my friend and the falling out that we had had and i'm like why are we not dwelling on this teenager being eaten like happened all the time back then like so crazy (laughs) (laughs) another detail i just want to mention is in anya's story when she talks about the two danas right yeah and how in the end they kill each other or they try to kill each other and one of them ends up dead and one of them ends up losing a leg and the devil is like which one are you mm-hmm. like are you the first dana or the second dana and dana's like i don't remember anymore and there's this detail thrown in i think it's in the both in the book and the show that dana is like i can feel the other me in hell <laughs> being tormented yeah and I was like, that is fucking That's brutal. That's so messed up. <laughs> yeah. That's all I got. I like that too. Uh, a line I liked from the book was, I think Dana asks the devil something about God. Yeah. And the devil's like, I actually don't know if God exists. <laughs> like, I, I loved that detail that like not even yeah. the devil's sure if God exists. That was just a line that I liked. That's great. Uh, I was seeing articles and headlines about uh, something regarding the first episode before we even began, mm-hmm. and that that and that is that it won a Guinness World Record. Oh, really? For the most jump scares in an hour long TV episode. Oh my god, this is the the first story, the first story which we never even talked about. But when because <laughs> uh, it never gets finished. No, well, it's not even a story. But no. like Alonka, <laughs> when she first kind of intrudes on the midnight club hears natsuki telling a story about a kid walking home at night and there's just a creepy schoolgirl who keeps appearing yeah and it's more for comedic effect than like any a no real it's jump not scare. scary but it's just like one after the other after the other <laughs> she just keeps appearing behind him and beside him and above him and like <laughs> but i mean i guess if you're actually counting those as jump scares okay this broke a world record for most jump scares oh my gosh so that's so funny there you go <laughs> 
Well, that's it for lightning round. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. This was a really interesting and complicated one to talk about, but I love a challenge. Yes. So. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I enjoyed this one. I liked the show and the book was just bizarre and fascinating. Mm-hmm. Also a quick read, which I always appreciate. <laughs> always gets bonus points for me. Yeah. Especially when we have to watch a whole show. Yes, that's for sure. Uh, if you would like to get more content from us, you can join us on Patreon we have a monthly uh, bonus podcast called After Credits where yeah. we talk about a number of topics. Sometimes we'll talk about additional adaptations. If there's maybe another movie adaptation on a book we discuss, we'll discuss it in After Credits. Or sometimes just movie franchises, the Oscars, whatever's mm-hmm. going on. This month, we're going to be talking about the Sigourney Weaver alien quadrilogy (laughs) uh which we are huge fans of the first two we have not seen alien three or four so that's exciting for us so if you want to hear us discuss those four movies uh join us on patreon at any tier for Mm -hmm. access to that and uh, like our nearly 50 other bonus episodes you get a lot of really great stuff while becoming a patron that's just one of them and so we appreciate all our patrons so much thank you for your support and another way you can support us is to leave us a star rating or review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. It really helps other people find the podcast and boost our numbers a little bit. And so we appreciate that as well. Yes. You can also find us on uh, Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. You can find all those links at CoverToCredits.com. And uh, yeah, thanks again for listening. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.